Welcome to the Sacred Birth Circle Beyond the Pregnancy Guide, where we gather to impart womb wisdom with the goal of helping you embrace your innate empowerment through your sacred experience of pregnancy, birth, and parenthood. Our supportive community of birth workers, maternal health experts, and advocates will be popping by to share evidence-based education based both on personal experiences and current research. My name is Anna Vick, and you are here at the Sacred Birth Circle with us today. My very first guest is the most amazing person I know. Uh, <laughs> she is going to be someone that you might hear about very often as she helps manage our platform. Uh, Ray, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. Um, I am Ray Jagger, and I am a birth doula and a birth educator in the Cincinnati area. Um, I have worked for the past couple of years before the pandemic and during as the modern doula of Cincinnati. I'm a yoga teacher, I'm a Reiki practitioner, but most importantly, I work with moms and families, starting their families, expanding their families um, from birth into postpartum with all sort of breastfeeding struggles that happen. So I do everything birth related. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. As somebody who I've only been at my own birth, I cannot imagine your experiences. And that's why I'm so excited to have this space because I feel like everyone who's going to come into it is going to also teach myself uh, things that I haven't got to see. Unfortunately, my experiences have all been pretty tumultuous. So I love hearing the other side of it, like all the natural birth experiences and you know, if you're able to have the perf perfect birth in which we don't want to say any birth is better than another on this platform, but I do know that Ray and I do have the same heart for birth and feeling that it is just so sacred, so beautiful. There's so many different experiences. And when you get down to it, you know, it's just a transitioning of two souls, you know, the mother becoming a mother, the baby coming into the world, hopefully, you know, alive and well, and that's the end goal for every birth. And we just want to make everyone feel comfortable here. And why don't you talk a little bit about that, Ray, as far as why we came up with this, because it is brand new. And mm -hmm. there's so much out there already in like kind of natural birth world, lots of platforms for that, lots of yeah. platforms for doctors. And we just kind of want to be, you know, a safe space for all, right? Yeah, I think our biggest motivation together for coming up with a space for birth is I think our uniting thing is we wanted everyone to know that birth in any form is sacred. So natural birth while great and wonderful and should be, I think the goal for everyone to minimize extra burden or just expectations of what you don't want. Like that's what everyone aims for, but all birth is so important. C-sections are important. Um, inductions are important. And through my own lived experience and through my experience as a doula, I have seen every kind of birth at every kind of last moment, every fast birth. And I think it's so important to have a space where we talk about all of those different outcomes and healthy expectations during pregnancy and how your pregnancy dictates what type of birth you are going to have. So this is just like honestly, a huge space where we're taking all of these different pregnancy and birth outcomes and just kind of working through what they mean, what options people have. This is kind of like began as a catalog of all of my experience plus yours and working with moms who, you know, have a lot of questions about how to make sure their babies are safe 
and bringing that expertise to a place where people can watch us and learn and use that as a tool in their toolkit during their pregnancy. Mm-hmm. Since really it is up, there's so much pressure on moms or birthing people to um, be in charge of their bodies. So we want to make sure people have the knowledge to make the right choices. Mm-hmm. And the reality is we all look at things like on Instagram and you see constantly certain posts or like, you know, they're empowering and they make you feel good and excited about being able to do this and your body knows best and your baby will know when to come. And unfortunately, you know, we have experienced the other side of that and Mm -hmm. we'll go into that a little bit and share some of our personal journey just so we can be, you know, completely open with our followers because we want you guys to know like where we're coming from and you know I hope that that doesn't like scare away certain people we always try to make our conversation like all about sharing everything that we learned so that you will have better outcomes Um, and of course we know like what happened with us doesn't happen with everyone so why don't we share a little bit about that that way we can you know kind of get through that part is hard Mm -hmm. you know it's emotional for us but um, Ray and I are both mothers who've lost children and, you know, that's kind of formed some of our view as far as interventions and the necessity of that, because we do know how badly it can turn, especially if you're not aware of certain risk factors. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that's, what's so important is we're having honest conversations about birth and birth outcomes, whereas many places, Um, on Instagram or Facebook groups can be a little bit gaslighting. And when you share something that's happened to you, um, you're silenced. And sometimes that information can have valuable nuggets that you need. Um, So I'll share, I have a three and a half year old daughter named Ivy. And she was the reason I became a doula. She came into this world very easily. I had a not complicated pregnancy. I did um, a lot of listening to birth podcasts that I could have a natural birth. And um, she came into this world very easily. There were no complications. I did not have an epidural. It was the natural birth dream. And it was 100% because of not the work I did, but luck. It was a lot of timing. It was not getting to the hospital in time for an epidural, not letting myself. Um, And then after that, I had um, a miscarriage. So I had a DNC and that was just, there was no heartbeat on the baby. And here, I don't, I, I don't want to assume everyone believes this, but abortion is also birth in many ways. And that was um, just a surgical procedure that I was not expecting or wanting. Some people have natural miscarriages, but my body was not doing that on its own. So I had that, I chose to have that intervention. And then I was pregnant shortly after with Fox who died at 32 weeks in utero due to a small placenta. And that was an induction and an epidural because I was experiencing so much mental anguish. I did not want to feel any physical pain. And he was birthed just under three pounds, was a beautiful baby boy that I had to say goodbye to. And I had never in my doula experience been at a stillbirth. I had never been there when a baby did not live to breathe air. And I just remember thinking how much bullshit it was that as someone who has attended so many births, I had never attended one where there was a, as doctors insensitively call it sometimes a fetal demise. So that has not changed my view on natural birth, but it has expanded how I support 
my doula clients. Um, I'm not taking any this year due to really focusing on my own healing because this stillbirth happened on Thanksgiving day of last year. Um, but I now am going back to the drawing board and sort of evaluating what are the biases I had as a natural birther that do not serve this community and that um, sort of spread disinformation and don't hold people accountable for being there during really difficult births. Mm. So that's kind of my story. And that's what's brought me here is a desire to really dig into birth biases and be present for people in all sorts of birth situations, um, the ones we want and the ones we don't want. Right. And so one of the very big biases, I think, is that the baby will know when to come and your body will know. Obviously, even in the first loss that you've had, you said you had to have the DNC because you, you know, your miscarriage wasn't starting up and I had my body did not well. know. Right. Yeah. And then just, we even know that in the case of like earlier losses, like with the competent cervix and stuff, they're trying to figure out what is making people, you know, go into labor or, you know, have any changes happening that are preparing them for birth when they shouldn't. Right. You know, that's difficult. Um, and then when they don't also, when you go to the case of a stillbirth and the baby didn't get born, you know, didn't understand that the, he was in trouble or something, you know, how did that baby not just get born if that's the case? And so that kind of rhetoric kind of sets you up for thinking, like, mm -hmm. I don't know if it delays you so much as it just, you're just incredulous. Like it just blindsides you because you were just not thinking that this could happen to you. Yeah. And you mentioned the placenta. So did you know about the placenta issue prior to the loss? No. So one thing I always do personally and as a doula is encourage people to go to their anatomy scans to make sure they're going to all of them. Um, at 20 weeks, Fox had a perfectly normal placenta for his size, supposedly um, going back. That's supposedly what they had said. I remember that. But as he grew and grew, especially in the third trimester where babies are just trying to gain weight and really practice breathing those things, he was not able to do that because the placenta was too small. So after his death, we sent his placenta to um, the best pathologist you can at Yale, Dr. Harvey Kleiman. And he took a look at the placenta um, just for viewers so they know after you have a stillbirth, um, hospitals will save the placenta in wax blocks for 10 years legally at the hospital, sometimes more. And you can send those wax blocks to people who study them, or, you know, sometimes it's the hospital that does the pathology themselves. And sometimes they do a really great job. And sometimes you send them to the expert at Harvard, or I'm sorry, at Yale. And we found out that it, his placenta would have been too small for him to live any longer than about 28 weeks. So 32 weeks was incredible that he was living that long. Wow. Now, in hindsight, he did not move enough during my pregnancy ever. And I brought that concern many times to my care provider. Um, and that just wasn't seen as a problem for other gaslighting issues that I don't you know, really need to get in for the sake of this. But had I gone to a third trimester scan, which I didn't have as a healthy pregnancy, mm -hmm. since my daughter was born with no complications at all, um, they probably would have seen the lack of movement and all of that. So it was just a, you know, there's a reason that these, I don't want to call an ultrasound an intervention because many times there is a baseline of, we want to understand your baby and help see something that might not be right. 
to prevent these stillbirths from happening. Uh, in this case, mine just fell through the safety net of those because of my previous birth. Mm -hmm. And I so. mean, that's the second really big misconception is like the placenta right. will actually be able to support a baby up until when the baby's born. Like there's so many posts about that. And I'm like, how can you say that when we know for a fact yeah. some placentas stop growing? Yeah. That's and not only natural. that, there is evidence saying that placentas don't provide as much nutrients and what they need past 39 weeks. So oftentimes you will find in the birth world that people are being induced around 38, 39 weeks, super close to 40 weeks because of that. And there are different complications or things in pregnancy that might cause it like gestational diabetes, exhaust the placenta out more. But there is a lot of data showing that the placenta just does not it oftentimes is not kicking as hard at 42 weeks when people go way past their due date. For some people, it's fine. It's so hard to make, you know, these absolute statements, which is my problem sometimes with Instagram accounts that say like, your placenta doesn't have an expiration. It's like sometimes for some people it does. Mm -hmm. You know, we are all unique individuals. So it's so important that you learn about your body and you find a care provider that you really trust that is able to track these things so that you have fewer worries. These are all things to design to give us fewer worries, you know? Mm -hmm. So, and when you say things like, I just want to reiterate the importance of not saying to people, your body knows what it's doing. One of my favorite births I had was my last birth before Fox. And it was this wonderful OB that everyone admires in Cincinnati. She kept saying over and over again, your body was built for this your body knows what it's doing. Birth is so beautiful. And it was so inspiring and sweet to hear. And I, at that point was having, was a personal problem with thinking back before Fox to my DNC that I had, where my body did not know what it's doing. And to say that really does not acknowledge all the people who had babies and their body didn't know what it's doing. Yeah. The body doesn't, isn't sentient. It doesn't know what it's doing. It just tries to survive. And sometimes it picks, do you survive or does the baby survive? Mm -hmm. And we have all the knowledge between you and I and lots of other lost moms and birth workers who are, who are, you know, can be there for people who have losses to know that is not a nice thing to say. And if someone says that, then they might not have enough experience really to be the person to listen to for your pregnancy. Right. And I do think that there's that confirmation bias, you know, when you haven't even had that many births that you've been a part of for you to say, well, this has happened and every birth that I've been a part of and like, but it's only been a handful or, you know, hundreds maybe even, but it's nowhere near the level of actual births and, you know, doctors who see so many in a year or the research, et cetera. And you can't just, like you just said, you can't write off the bad experiences. Yeah, you have to incorporate it. Or it's not nice to us when that happened to us a certain way and you're just disregarding it. Like, oh, well, that's the 1%. Well, I'm so sorry. That's my child. And that was my experience right. with my body and what happened with us. And you can't invalidate that. With right. your and for some people, a small placenta could happen again. You know, we're might be, we might be very lucky the next time we have a baby and we could be in the same situation. So to hear your body knows what it's doing after knowing full well that going forward, my body does not know what it's doing and won't is insulting. You know, it's insulting. Mm -hmm. And one thing to take into consideration 
is there's so many different kinds of birth educators and many of the ones that are talking about natural births from home birth perspectives is very different than a natural birth in a hospital setting. And it's just really important to differentiate those conversations and the data coming in from those two very different settings that births happen and pregnancies happen. You know, they're two totally different models of care. We can't necessarily overlap information with the two. Mm -hmm. I do think that some of what is happening though comes from a real very, you know, traumatized position, like someone who had a previous birth, maybe that was horrible in the hospital where they do feel like their autonomy was kind of taken away and certain decisions were made for them and they didn't understand maybe, you know, and uh, there's a lot of people who prey on that. I feel like it's kind of like, you know, well, you got this first intervention and then there's a cascade of interventions. And of course you ended up with a C-section, but at the same time, you don't know how badly it could have gone for this family this baby may not be here, you know, and I hate, I know that they hate it. They don't like to be told, well, at least your baby's alive, you know, but Mm -hmm. I think Mm -hmm. for us, yes, at least your baby's alive, because like you mentioned, you lost, we know what it's like to not have a baby alive. Yeah. And I'll (laughs) share, you know, my story with that is I did have my first pregnancy, perfectly normal, healthy, everything. I actually wanted a natural birth. I took courses and the breathing, everything at the time I'm you know, older than some. So I had like the Lamas, there wasn't, I don't know if they had the spinning baby stuff yet, but you know, there was some of that hypnobirthing. I didn't do that part, but I did. I did that. Loved it. (laughs) So I was a little bit back then. My daughter's 10 now. Um, So we did though, like the breathing exercises. And so I had planned that that was what I wanted. You know, I was going to have the big birthing ball and I was going to try to work on it, you know, get Mm -hmm. the baby out naturally. Well, my daughter was completely breached entire third trimester like, oh, she's not going to turn, is she, you know, and I read about the inversion thing that they can do. And I was like, that sounds very scary. Even at the Painful. time when I didn't realize like stuff can happen with the cord and whatnot. I was just thinking more like, uh, it sounds horribly painful, like you said. And yeah, I don't think the baby will necessarily stay. So it could fail. So I don't want to do that. And she was very tight in there and I was smaller and my husband's six, eight. So I was like, this is probably oh my God. baby. Yeah. She was very big when she was born. <laughs> So we had the C-section planned. It happened. I actually worked up until the day of her C-section, like the weekend before. And then I, you know, didn't come in on Monday, had my C-section. So everything went according to plan with that, other than like some issues with the doctor getting there. Uh, The nurses hadn't run my blood stuff yet. So he was like, oh, great. Now I have to come back because I have a birth at the other hospital. So he left me there. I was starving and I was like, oh, this is the worst experience, right? So my experience was not beautiful, mm-hmm. but we were just so excited. First time parents and, you know, thank God surgery went well. She's alive. She's well. And then I had a miscarriage just happened naturally early. Uh, of course, horrible. You know, they don't give you many answers with those. It's just no. like it's a genetic probably since it happened at like eight weeks. Uh, so they're like, you know, you're ready to try again at certain points, you try again. And then I had another great pregnancy, everything was normal. I had a point where I did feel a little bit weaker. And I started telling my doctor and he's like, it's just the iron, just take a little bit more iron and you'll be fine. And that really, for me, didn't solve it I actually ended up quitting my job. And I was at home because I was like, I felt really kind of faint. And mm. I never put it together with like, oh, maybe there's a problem with something going on between me and my baby not processing right here or something because I didn't know yeah. like it can go to that extreme because people really don't talk about stillbirth. it yeah people don't say yeah. the word stillbirth to you um in a healthy you know I was called a textbook pregnancy so 
for me, I was like not expecting anything to go terribly wrong. Yeah. Um, and then I had the toddler at home. So finally I was home with her and I was like, I got to spend some time with her now that, you know, it's the last weeks and months of her being the only child. So I really did everything constantly took her everywhere. And like the final day with her, I was like from one thing to the next, you know, just trying to be mm -hmm. like super mom. And so I really didn't sit with my son to feel him that day. Um, but he was always so active, like very busy little baby kicking a lot. And I thought like kick counting to me at the time, I didn't understand it because my doctor did not explain it and did not say I need to be doing it or anything. But I had read online about it. And like this kick counting thing seems weird. Like 10 kicks in two hours, my baby moves like 30 kicks or something in 10 seconds. So mm -hmm. I never really thought it was something I needed to pay attention to. And it wasn't even informed to me, like you should be kick counting. So of course, 10 kicks in two hours, outdated. It's every run and it's still today, yeah, which is not right info. Bad. Like seven years later, it's still wrong. So we're working on fixing that, but there's only so much you can do because websites right. take each other's information. So that's part of the problem here. Misinformation spreads so quickly because mm -hmm. one sees it and like replicates it on their website. They assume it's website. right instead of fact checking, fact yeah. check, fact check. So I definitely didn't understand any of that, but I was finally home really late at night. I was laying down and I was feeling and like something feels so different. And, you know, your stomach just feels like kind of softer and, you know, he was kind yeah. of like weak, you know? So I was like, okay, what's going on? So I started trying to kick count and nothing's really happening in like that first hour. And so I started eating things and, you know, don't do any of this. If you're listening, like you go right to the right ER. But I started to like have the iced water and the sugary foods. Like I think it was some popcorn, you know, like caramel corn. I had whatever I had. I was trying to eat it. And then I called my sister and a friend. They're both like, oh, just shake your tummy again. Don't do that. Like you shouldn't have to nudge your baby so much. You should just right, wake up. Right. Like my thing is like it's past midnight. Like, oh, he's just asleep. But I still had this weird feeling. So call the ER and the ER is like, just eat a meal. Maybe you need to eat a meal. Like and you didn't think of that. Like another two hours of kick counting later. I'm like, what? So like, I didn't have anything. I grabbed deli meat. We all get told not to eat deli meat. I hadn't had any until this point, but I was like, I had nothing else called food, you know, ready to go. So I mm -hmm. put it in my mouth and I was like, I'm going to get dressed, rush over there, get dressed. And then, you know, get to the ER and everyone's just trying to make me feel better. Like, oh, everything can be fine. Da, da, da. And then like finally check me in, finally get the monitor on me. And I was by myself because I thought I'm not waking up my daughter for this. I'm just checking out. I didn't expect anything. And I heard the heartbeat and my husband was on the speaker. So we both were like, oh, good. You know, he's fine. Mm -hmm. But no one communicated that it had been really low already. And they were checking things. They got the ultrasound machine and everything. And I still didn't know what was happening. So they called the doctor on call without telling me that too. And finally he arrives. And they said how low the heartbeat was. I'm like, oh, we're taking you into surgery. So this was a crash C-section now. Yeah. And my husband wasn't there. Uh, so it was horrific. So, I mean, I know about trauma. Trust me. Like when people talk about, oh, hospital is horrible, this and that. Yes, I was treated horribly. Someone didn't for me, like of all this. They should have major said surgery. Yeah. Like as soon yeah. as I got there, they should have said, well, I'm so sorry. Your son seems to be having trouble. Call your husband. Like there was no one. Right communication so I understand why some people are just so frustrated with the system but I don't think leaving the system <laughs> is a full answer because right now my son needed this like he needed to come out by c-section and yeah. this was his only hope unfortunately we were too late and I found this out now like six years later 
I also used Dr. Kleiman for the placenta research and he found out it was cord compressions that caused this. So really hard for anyone to really see that. I mean, it's not even knots, mm-hmm. it's compressions like a few times for several days prior where he just lost enough oxygen to his brain to you know, make mm. this damage happen. So, you know, and the people who have cord losses, like we're pretty much like, what do we do, right? But I don't think it means like less care is needed. (laughs) You know, like you mentioned, a third trimester, you know, scan of sort. I remember all my scans were so quick at the end. Like, I don't even know how many I had with him. I had so few and they were always fast. And I'm like, I need more. Like we need to be doing more, not less, you know? And that's where we're at with People don't like to do scans when you have a textbook healthy pregnancy. It takes away resources from people who have complications. I do want to just say that I understand why some people don't want to use the system. It's a system. It's a disparate racist system and black women disproportionately um, end up dying, just wanting to give birth to their babies. And that's like the real motivation, I think, for many people wanting to leave the hospital setting. But we are examples of people trying to work to make the system more understanding of all these different outcomes by empowering parents to demand what things that they need to um, have the birth that they, you know, want to have within limits, within limits and within safety and all that, instead of just saying it to the system altogether, because we want to change the system as much as we can. And as a dual, one of the reasons that I wanted to start doing this work in hospital specifically, not home births, is because you know home births are their own utopia when you are lucky enough to have them. But hospital births are real, where stuff happens, where you things happen to you and you don't always consent to them. Sometimes you have to have a crash C-section to save your baby if that's possible and you don't get to consent to it. So all of the conversations that we can teach people to have with their care providers leading up to it helps eliminate some of these things down the line and helps take control of what we can do in a system that is broken, mm-hmm. you know, within, you know, we have, it takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of teamwork and it takes finding the right care providers and stuff like that. And you can only do so much, but yes. we are trying to make the system better as opposed to just saying the system and, you know, maybe it leading to dangerous outcomes in a different way. Mm-hmm. And it's all great if you can do this at your home and it goes perfectly, but you can have no guarantees for that. And I think those accounts are actually honest about that. They tell you, yeah. you know, the birth outcome is not a guarantee. So they're not actually on your saying it. They're not actually telling you like your baby might die or you might die, but they're saying like, we can't guarantee anything here. So uh, we're going to tell you how to have a beautiful natural birth. And that's up to you to make that decision and your you know, going to take full responsibility. Obviously there's not even a doctor involved and this is just Mm -hmm. the birth course you're buying. So it's not really, Oh God, that's not even beginning with free birth. So I think, yeah, that's exactly right. We want people. And I mean, like I said, like you just acknowledged the equity thing. I mean, that's definitely important. And we do have guests coming up that will talk to that. And because there are people working with home births Mm -hmm. that I want to highlight. I don't want us to like say this birth is better than that birth, you know, and we know that there's reasons for doing everything that we're doing. And then I think the most important thing that we always want to say is as long as it's safe, you know, and the mother's fully informed, the father, you know, the partners, they all know what they're getting into here, then, you know, that's your choice. Of course, it is your choice. Right. But if they don't even mention the risk, then that's a red flag to me. Right. 
and your birth depends on your pregnancy. Many people don't choose to have pregnancy complications, but sometimes having them informs the kind of birth you're going to have. And like you said, there is no good or bad birth. There is just birth. It's morally neutral, just like our bodies are. Like your body doesn't know what it's doing and your birth doesn't know what it's doing. You are still a mom or dad or a birthing person at the end of the day. You're still a parent and that's what matters. And a lot of my job as a doula and with you know us talking into this void is educating people on what those outcomes are depending on what your pregnancy is like. And that's what's so important is that being informed based on your pregnancy, based on the tools that you have as a pregnant person to count your kicks or what to ask for when you're going to ultrasounds, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Listening to your body, because there's a lot of things that will come up in pregnancies like preeclampsia and you know, the diabetes and stuff like you might feel these things even before a test tells you. Yes. So it's just to tell you, like, don't expect this perfect birth from the start. I think that's why we're so set up. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of moms that had started out with this natural birth community, wanting the natural birth, believing in themselves, their body. And then they use that almost like as a way to like question themselves when they started to feel something was wrong and feel like, well, no, my body's yeah gonna know what to do this is just part of labor this is natural you know and then it went terribly wrong so self-gaslighting is a huge Mm -hmm. thing that we do when we try to push a certain form of birth no one in general should push any kind of birth at you they should tell you to pick a birth that is going to make you feel safe and happy and bring your child here safely and every person in pregnancy is unique and only you know your body Uh, One of the biggest things my doctor said to me with Fox was like, don't worry, I'll do the worrying. And I remember thinking like, this baby isn't in you. This baby is not your baby. You don't do the worrying. This is my child and I have to worry. And just listening to your own body and voice is the greatest tool that you can have. Mm -hmm. When you know something's wrong, even if you don't have a name for it, something is wrong. Right. And I think for myself, like having a loss of that extremity like where I thought it was perfect everything was normal all the tests were coming in normal everything until the movement change that's why I do like to talk about fetal kick counting and things which you know either some people say oh it's outdated well the way that it's explained is outdated we need to talk about it like that more where it's like know your baby know the personality of your baby is your baby very active like my son did he eat like after you ate was he crazy busy you know, what time of days, like you just got to get to know your baby and don't focus on a number, which is that's the outdated part. Don't focus on getting 10 right. completely wrong. Right. So, you know, there's a lot of things I think are just misunderstood. And Same. then, you know, having lost a child for my next pregnancies, which I had a missed miscarriage after that, which was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. I had to like Those wait it out. I actually didn't do the DNC because I was really intent on having another child. I had a daughter already. She was getting older and older, like probably I think by that point, five or six. So I was like, I don't want mm. them seven years apart, which they are now my two living children, um, quite spread like six years and a half. But, you know, I was just like, I need to get pregnant again. I don't want any kind of downtime with the DNC. So I just ended up yeah. waiting and I was waiting and waiting. And I was like, when is this going to happen? It was horrible knowing that your baby had already How died. long did it take before it your took body- me from, so my doctor estimated around six weeks was when the baby just stopped developing at all. And so I found out at eight weeks though, you know, at the appointment, and then it didn't actually happen till like 11 weeks. 
Mm. So it was a long time. So I don't know I if it would have been faster thing. to do the DNC. You know, like, oh, I, and I didn't mention this because I didn't want to scare, well, didn't want to scare people, but we have hard conversations. I had um, a DNC and it was an emergency DNC that I chose because I was still lucid, but I was hemorrhaging oh, no. after waiting 11 weeks oh, to wow. hoping it would do it. And yeah. I took one of those um, misapropyl. Um, I'm trying to think what the pill, the abortion pill, and it didn't work and it just made me hemorrhage. Okay. So I said, can I please have a DNC now? <laughs> Cause they were like, oh, you might be okay hemorrhaging a little longer. So, yeah. And that's, what's very scary. Like I think yeah. miscarriages, we don't talk about them enough. And like, we can go into it more in another episode, but I was just like, how much blood can a person have come out and be normal and like, not be at a point where I'm in danger. Right. I thought I was hemorrhaging, you know, I'm like, this is too much blood. This is too big clots, you know? And it's like, well, it's been 11 weeks. My body really thought it was pregnant for a long time. And I felt super pregnant with that pregnancy. I thought surely I'm having twins. Like that's how I felt with this. Me too. Me too. Yeah. I was like, what the, what's happening here? My body still thinks. And I was praying on it. I was looking up things where people said miscarriages. Sometimes they were wrong about it. And I was just hoping, you know, I was going to come into a scan and they were like, oh, there's the heartbeat. We're just kidding. You know? So I, that's really why partly also I didn't do it right away. Cause mm-hmm. I was like, let's just see, like, maybe they're wrong. Come on. I thought the same you know? thing about Fox, even yeah. like after I delivered and after he was like dead in my arms, cause you know, viewers, you hold your baby after they're born, yeah. even if they're not living, you say goodbye, you have that time to come to terms. Even then I thought like, he's going to breathe a miracle will happen. Yeah. It was literally Hanukkah and I'm Jewish. And I was like, this is the Hanukkah miracle I need. Gosh, it's like, it's a, right now uh, with that one. It's amazing the things we do to make ourselves feel better. And sometimes we just have to sit with the reality. And that's what I think, Anna, we're so good at doing with like this whole birth stuff is like sitting with the reality that there is loss and that it can be prevented. But when it's not like we're here, we're here. It's still a birth. It still mattered. And you didn't fail your baby. And, you know, we get so like after me, I had three losses in a row. So I was like, oh. oh, my womb is broken. I'm, you know, I can't have another baby. And my doctor kept telling me, no, well, the proof is in your daughter. She's right here. She's six, you know, she's getting older and older. And she's like, she look at her, she's perfectly healthy. You can do it again. And I just was like, so broken, you know, like, mm. you know, my son, Owen, which I didn't even say his name yet, but I, I will talk about him a lot. I'm sure in the future, it was just an experience. I never expect to be a part of my life. And, you know, now I do work very hard as an advocate trying to make change so that people do not go through stillbirth because they are very yeah. preventable. Uh, Wait, you haven't talked about your living son yet, right? No, well, I was kind of getting there. Oh, I'm sorry, I derailed us. <laughs> There's a lot going on in my life. This is my own little, <laughs> it's supposed to be mostly about Ray, but it's about both of us. So that's okay. I mean, this uh, is a joint mission to really kind of bring a new birth space that doesn't exist for all births. Yeah. So I was going to go after my miscarriage. So yes, the miscarriage, horrible. It was so painful, by the way. Like if you haven't had this situation or if you're going to be going through it, just be prepared. They are not even going to tell you probably how it's going to go. And oh my God, like it was like I gave birth, like, and I had a little girl over with my daughter and I told my husband, oh my gosh, it's like happening now. Get her home, like to her dad, get her out of here. Cause I was like moaning, like, this is like a real birth situation and I've never been in natural birth, but I'm like, is this what natural birth feels like? Yeah. Oh, horrible. It hurts, you know, and no <laughs> medication at home. Right. So I was doing this mm-hmm. pain, pain, uh, medication, free birth at home, free birth. Oh, that was a free birth. I've had one. 
Here it was sad that I've never had natural birth. Well, that's my natural birth. There you go. Um, so deliver this miscarriage. Um, and thank God, you know, but it takes a long time. And this was yeah. actually like, I think it finally happened on 4th of July. I remember thinking about it. I'm like, oh, there we go. I'm finally free of this horror. Like it took so many weeks. It's a mind F, you know, like, oh my mm -hmm. God. And am I pregnant? Am I not pregnant? And when is this going to stop? So I can try yeah. to get pregnant again. Uh, so finally that was completed at home and thank God it was fine. I didn't have to go in emergency or anything, but I really did think for several moments, I'm like, gosh, I'm bleeding too much, you know, and calling in, I called in, I told my husband, we need to know, like, is this okay? Cause maybe I need blood transfusions, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyways, and it happened fine. Um, and I did take some of the material back. Cause I told the doctor I wanted to have some genetic testing and he didn't find anything. Cause this, it took so long, I think for the baby to finally, you know, the pregnancy to end that everything oh, yeah. was just not nothing in there, but so we ended up having genetic testing. So you usually don't get any of that stuff done until three losses. I don't know about everyone's insurance, but that's how mine worked. Yeah. So we finally got the genetic testing run. And so we wanted to wait for that at least. Cause I was like, there must be something happening, whether it's me broken or us genetically, something's happening. So we got this news back finally. And then it said, you know, everything was clear. They didn't check one thing, which is blood clotting disorders. And that's actually I have that. Bad. Well, that's what I actually thought I had. So it really frustrated mm -hmm. me because my insurance said they wouldn't check that. And I was like, what? Well, what is they, all the other? They never check that. They yeah. never check that. I yeah. wanted or to they pay never for pay it. for it. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to, but by the time I found out they weren't doing it, it was like, okay, I'm not gonna wait another however many weeks to rerun all this stuff. So yeah, like, let's just go for it. So we tried and we got pregnant and everything was going good too for that one. So I did have a high-risk doctor finally now after having a loss. So I have seen the level of care that you can get after the worst yes. experiences. And I'm like, why didn't I get this with my other pregnancies? Maybe he would have caught it. Maybe he would have seen some court issues happening, you know? Right. It's really frustrating to have to lose children first to even get your genetic testing to find that out because that can be really mm -hmm. helpful for your care if there is something they can be doing. Yeah. And I don't know, you just said you had that issue. So maybe there's something you're doing. And I had all the genetic testing and no one found it until I am. I'm, I'm now seeing a reproductive endocrinologist who found the blood clotting disorder that no one else found. Wow. So. And it's so helpful to have that information because now you could take something different or, you know, right. be given. Yeah. But I actually told my doctor, I want to take some baby aspirin. I know we don't know if I have that, but at least let me do that because that's known to not really have side effects with any pregnancy and at mm -hmm. least it'll make me feel better that my blood's flowing normal like as it can and I did everything like this bone broth recipe I was making myself and like all kinds of recipes that's work going on. <laughs> yeah um, black strap molasses supposed to be really good for your blood so I would take that like it was gross but I started getting used to all this weird stuff I was doing uh, so I was just just really healthy you know dieting and like vegan I turned vegan at some point because I the things we do for our babies yeah I was like really intense you know and I had great care but then you know at some point I started to notice well first of all there was a complication at 20 weeks so I had the 20 week scan everything was perfect but he was super quiet he always was he's an older guy and not very chatty mm -mm. Um, ended up telling me okay we need to talk and I was like oh like not again god you know I thought something was wrong with my son and thankfully it wasn't my son, but it was incompetent cervix. 
So oh. he said, I have to have the um, cerclage done or he gave me options. We said that was probably the best bet right now. And that's a 20 weeks. And so mm. I was like, okay, let's do it. Um, Did you so do bed rest at all? He told me I didn't have to do bed rest at first when I first was going into the surgery. Once I got into surgery though, and he did it, it was already like a couple inches or centimeters dilation happening. So thank God I actually had laid my legs up like until that appointment. So I, I mean, it was like two or three days before my appointment. I don't know why it wasn't rushed, but at the time it wasn't very dilated, I guess. So I get in there, they do the surgery and I was like freaking out. I had all these people praying for me. I had like a random group online say a prayer for me. They were so sweet. Mm. Sent me a prayer right on the way in. And I was just like, oh God, please let this work. Cause they don't always work, but they're pretty, pretty good. He said pretty good now. Someone else, maybe not. He's like in my hands, it'll be perfect. You know, he's like apparently really great. And he was, he's one of the best doctors in LA, but shout out to Dr. Tavish. I love you. (laughs) like my angel but so he did that procedure and then I was on bed rest for 17 weeks at home at Mm -hmm. least oh so long yeah it was a long time a lot of people having to help me and it was you know experience that really humbled me because you know I'm very independent and I think this world makes you feel like that like you want to be a mom you're going to know how to do all this stuff yourself you're going to handle it and you know, you got to learn it all for yourself. And I didn't have a lot of guidance in terms of like birthing support. My mom was, you know, she had her pregnancies, never really talked about them that much. And so, you know, I was just learning as I go, mm-hmm. but most of point, us are. Yeah. And it's hard, you know, and that's why we want to have this support system. Like we call it a circle because we want you guys to all feel like you're not in it alone. You know, we're all gathering around you together share our knowledge, you know, womb wisdom, we call it just to make sure you don't feel like you have to do this alone. And it's not just you yeah. should be your partner, hopefully, right, you know, involved in the process or your, um, your community, right. So, and we, we want to hear stories from other people too. So when you hear yeah. this, please comment, tell us your birth stories or tell us, you know, if maybe you've had similar experiences to us, we'd love to hear that stuff. Yeah. And so there was the point where I did have to become a really strong advocate for my little boy. And yeah. at that time, of course, I realized that now that it is life and death because I had already lost his brother. So I started to see, like, I felt a different change. It was a discharge. I was like, something's different. This doesn't seem like my normal. I think I have an infection. And I kept going in. They kept telling me, no, we've already tested. You don't, you're fine. You're not, you don't have that. And so like the next appointment I come in, I'm still thinking this and I was going quite often, you know, at the high risk doctor and I started panicking. I was crying. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to lose another baby. I know this is just not right. And they're not hearing me. They're not understanding. They're not finding it, you know? And finally the doctor's um, second doctor always talked with me first. She was like, what, what can I do to make you feel better? Well, there's one more test, but I don't think you have that. And I was like, well, run it, do it. Like every yeah. test do any test. My brain will calm down because right now I don't believe like I'm fine. And mm-hmm. so she's like, okay, we'll take the test for the uh, GBS infection and then we'll let you know. And so she said the next day, well, you were right. You have a GBS infection. So you're going to take this medication and then everything's fine. And I still couldn't comprehend when she told us me, but I was like, so you're telling me I have what I thought I had. I have an infection. So that means I could have lost my baby. And like the whole pregnancy, I had this feeling of like, I'm going to have a preterm birth. And oh my God, it, it seems to be like, that's what would have happened had I not been in the care level that I was first of all, to catch yeah. 
this um, cerclage issue that I needed. So had I not already had a loss, had a great high-risk doctor who was looking for that, you know, because they don't all catch this. They don't. And to be able to perform it so expertly to keep this baby in, it was like, it was just crazy how it all ended up. But, mm-hmm. and then this infection that could have caused me to lose the baby too. And myself possibly, because GBS can get really dangerous and I had a cerclage in. So that's just the recipe for disaster for mm. um, anyone to have any kind of infection. Yeah. So medication was taken and everything was fine until, you know, the end. That's when my last appointment where I had a low fluid level, not too low, but he said, well, I would send you home and tell you drink more water, but I know you, you're going to freak out the whole time. And <laughs> like, I'll just keep you here overnight and get your fluids back to normal. We'll be okay. You know, and this was like 37, 36 weeks, somewhere around there. Um, so have this, you know, fluids going into me now. I was finally on a monitor, which was very wonderful for a person mm-hmm. who's very obsessed with kick counting and scared, you know? And so I, I was being monitored. Um, and then the last, well, actually, first of all, he wanted to send me home. He was like the next couple of days, like, oh, you're mm-hmm. fine. Like, nope, I'm not leaving. I'm sorry. I'm not leaving without a baby. This time, like I learned, I was like, I can do that. Like before probably wouldn't have been that person. I probably mm-hmm. couldn't have talk back to my doctor in that way you wouldn't have known no I wouldn't have known that I needed to be done this way and plus like who would think to say that I'd just say okay I'll go with what you're suggesting here you know but I lived an hour away from this hospital and I was like there's no way I'm going with any thoughts of like low fluid happening in my brain or you're gonna tell me like you know I'm kick counting and next thing you know I'm gonna feel wrong and I'm gonna have to rush in and it might be late again hell no you know Mm -hmm. so I was like I'm staying (laughs) So thankfully he arranged it, we stayed. And so we were there all week. Um, my husband home with our daughter and he would come go with her. And uh, I was happy, I was on a monitor. You know, that was the best feeling from the whole pregnancy because the rest of the time I was so scared. And, you know, the last day they were noticing some contractions and I wasn't even feeling them, which was interesting. Cause I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. Did you feel that one? No, no. And they didn't want me to go into labor because of the cerclage. So that's why Mm -hmm. they were really monitoring that. And so end up, you know, the next morning, I think it was like 5 a.m. or something. They called him. They're like, she's, you know, having contractions. And I started to feel it at that time. And it was 37 and a half weeks. Mm. And he's like, okay, let's early. That's early. Yeah, let's have a C-section this afternoon because they didn't want it to rupture and everything. So I was like, yay, (laughs) like, I can't believe it. It's happening, you know. But you don't mm-hmm. believe it until your baby's out that you're yeah. having a living baby after losing one like that. Yeah. So um, my son Jackson was born and we gave him middle name Nathaniel, same as his brother Owen. So, and he did cry very loudly, nicely mm-hmm. as soon as he came out, thank God. It was yeah. the best feeling ever. And, you know, even I think I had shell shock though for like at least the first year where I was like, I don't even believe he's here, you yeah. know, and I'm still afraid. I was afraid about SIDS for a long time, so course like you can be like whew, you know we're good yeah, you don't just take a sigh of relief when you have a living baby that's born you worry after that like you want to hold on to them so that nothing happens yeah we're very protective yeah. parents and we still we have trauma from the loss and we'll never be the same a parent after loss is just you know we're a different breed of like helicopter parent <laughs> you know it's like oh mm-hmm. they're gonna fall like we're literally right there I caught my son the other day though he was flying off the chair and I'm like boom I was like good catch like yeah like super woman like you know but 
it's just like it gets in your head now like you have to do everything you have to control everything and that's why it's, it is hard for me to watch these uncontrolled birth situations like the complete free birth situation to me is like oh my gosh you know and I pray that they will be fine and you know in most cases yes yeah, like statistically stillbirth is less than one percent yeah. but it is 23,000 babies a year and a lot of them preventable you know yeah. at least 25 percent are preventable and it could be more of course we want it to be all prevention but you know there's certain issues you'll never be able to get yeah. every cord you know exactly cord things issue. are so hard to prevent they're so hard to see especially when they're happening during labor mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're still working on that. I have a little side group going for cord loss parents. We're trying to figure mm-hmm. out, you know, how can we get a little bit more monitoring, scanning on cords? Cause they really aren't doing anything for that yeah. at this moment. And you can't say like, I hate the cord accident. Cause I'm like, how's it an accident? You're not even looking at this, right? You know, we have a lot of mothers who've lost babies at the final week to like a sudden cord accident. And I'm like, what an accident. Like, you just didn't look at the cord and the baby was yeah. perfect. And now the baby's not here. And how can mm. you just be okay with that? And like, tell this mother to go get pregnant again and not even want to mo- monitor the cord. You don't want to do it ever. You don't want to do the next one either. Right. You know? And I think you guys go through that too, with the small placenta losses. And we are working with measure the placenta, like trying to see, can we get everyone to measure placentas throughout pregnancy? Cause it can be done at a scan yeah. quite easily. And you could see at some point if there's a change. I mean, it usually happens after 20 weeks. So if you're not looking for any of this, how can we feel okay when the baby's lost? Right, you know? exactly. And Dr. Collins is the cord person, the expert, the equivalent of Dr. Harvey Kleiman at Yale. So um, Dr. Collins has written a book. What is it called? Silent, Silent something? Risk. Silent risk. There you go. Brain fart. Um, yeah, I've heard it's a really good book for book, providers. He, yeah, he's great. And he comes to our meetings. He actually comes to our first one, which just we did. We had the other day. Uh, we're going to have another one with Dr. Timmer, too. Hopefully, we'll come. And, you know, these are people who know a lot about cords and they know that you can be checking, you can be scanning for things. I feel yeah. like it's tough because then doctors have to make a really hard choice. And so let's say, my baby at 32 weeks, we started to notice a cord problem. Now we're going to ask the doctors to please deliver a baby who's not even close to term yet. He's only, he's two months away, but so there will be some issues there, right? He's going to have to go to the NICU. He may have some developmental issues, you know, especially if they save him. I mean, my son was so close and if they had saved him, he could have had a lot of mental issues and Mm -hmm. who knows if he could walk or talk or anything, you know? So this is hard. This is hard stuff we're talking about. It's not, I'm not claiming like we're going to save these babies and they're going to be perfect either, you know, but I felt like I wanted a a chance and I didn't get a fighting chance with my son. Exactly. I didn't even know that I had a battle. I didn't know that there was a silent stillbirth risk, you know, the cord risk, like, oh my God, like it breaks my heart because I feel so naive and yet it was never explained or spoken to me in any form. It's not fair. And it makes us feel guilty and we have no reason to feel guilty. We have been let down by the system, but we're still okay with finding the right people to be our advocates. I will say that in those situations, since this is the sacred birth circle and uh, there might be people who are watching this who are like, hmm, I'm feeling like maybe one of these situations relates to how I feel right now. And in that case, when you are at an MFM, 
um, whether it's after a loss or by choice, your doctors will always have the conversation about what viability is for you. And if the baby has a fighting chance of living outside the body, more so than living inside the body, then that is usually an option that they will consider. Like for my next child, since, you know, God willing, um, if there is a small placenta, our conversation has been, um, if that happens, since I have found a doctor that I trust, would you be willing to get that baby out? And the answer is of course, yes. So there's so many different times, uh, types of ways that babies come into the world and also different times. And the requirements, like you said, is do they need a NICU stay? Are they going to need breathing assistance and all sorts of stuff if they come out early? Sure. But is that a living baby that might not have been otherwise? Yeah. So there are, it's almost like, it's almost like we need a list of exactly what questions to talk with your care providers about at what time during birth, because depending on how your pregnancy goes, sometimes these questions need to happen. Mm -hmm. um, and other folks who are watching this, who have not had any loss at all, and who are living in this like beautifully lucky realm um, of like grace and just positivity, like that's incredible that you might not ever need these. And we hope that's the case for everyone. Um, but we talk about these things for the folks who do need this extra support and extra information to change outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And one thing that I'm now involved with Count the Kicks program, and I'm a Latina too. So I'm helping them in the realm of trying to get everything in Spanish. So if you actually mm. go to the Count the Kicks page, there's a little tab at the bottom now that we worked on to get that on. And translation is awesome. not perfect yet, but it's at least readable if you don't speak English. So I wanted to make sure we get information to everyone out there. It shouldn't be like some people know about kick counting and some people don't. Yeah. And if you get the Count the Kicks app, actually right now it's available in I think over 12 languages. I probably got that number wrong. It's probably 18, but you know, it's a lot of languages. So your language is probably available. And if it's not, you can message them and we can work on that. But I think counting kicks is very important and you might not want to necessarily do it like I did, which was insane after a loss where I did it like constantly. I was like, I don't even have the app. I was just counting all the time. I don't know what I was doing, to be honest. I didn't get it. I still didn't mm -hmm. get it at that point in my previous after loss because nobody informed me. So we'll have actually like some of these people come on here and really share with you how to properly count kicks. But you know, the, the reason you're doing it is not to get a certain number. It's just to get to know your baby's pattern. And if your baby changes, that's actually the first sign of fetal distress. So I don't understand why anyone would say kick, kick counting doesn't work. Well, it's not really about kick counting. It's not right. the kick counting part. We're, we're just getting stuck up on language. Yeah. You know, we're just talking about getting to know your baby. Know your baby. Bonding with your baby, understanding their behavior and feeling them, feeling how tight your tummy is. Cause they start, if they go limp, your tummy will feel different. Yeah. You know, and it's not like you want to drink juice because that means you're just hyping your baby up for a second with the juice and they might already be unwell for a reason that you cannot see. Mm -hmm. so, and the heart is the last thing to go. Right. The so heart is the last thing to go. Dopplers don't help. A lot of people who are doing free births and just natural births will have Dopplers because they're like, I'm so afraid. The heartbeat is the last thing you will know when movements first. And what Anna's saying from like the standpoint of doula work is if I had a client who's like, mm, um, I'm worried about decreased movement. I would say your kick counting. And I wish I had done this with myself, kicking myself now, but you know, the woulda, coulda, shouldas. 
Um, the kick counts is data that you can bring to your doctor or your midwife to say, here is the decline of movement. You can see this evidence that I have tracked for the past week or day or whatever. This means we need to move now because sometimes people take word of mouth from moms and they say, oh, don't worry, it's going to be okay. But when they see what you are showing them in a visual, it's a lot easier to be like, okay, now we move. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And the Count the Kicks app has like kind of a graph. So at the end of a yep. few sessions, you'll start to see if it declines or if there's a frantic increase of movement, that's a bad sign too. It could be mm -hmm. more depressions and things that's been associated. So if for any reason you feel that one day, don't think, oh, how exciting. My baby's so excited moving, like getting ready for birth. It yeah. might be not a good thing. So just pay attention. Like, how is this happening? Is it because you just ate something maybe super sugary and that's okay maybe, but you should know, like, it's a quite big difference. It's like a frantic fight, you know, basically. So mm, just yeah. want to put that out there because people talk a lot about slow movements and that's not the only uh, sign with fetal distress. And of course, we don't count hiccups just to include that in this conversation. Hiccups are involuntary and hiccups are fine. Usually it's just like your baby's uh, lungs developing normally. But if this is towards the end of pregnancy and you're noticing too many as more than often than it normally is or something, you know, you feel off and movement is also changing like that to me and also other people has been associated with cord issues. So just pay, pay attention. I mean, that's a hiccup. Maybe it's like, you know, grasping for air situation. Mm. So Mm -hmm. not to make everyone who gets hiccups feel scared because I had them with my pregnancy after loss. And I was like, Oh, I see hiccuping all the time. It's horrible. You know, it just drive me crazy. But every time he got checked out, he was okay. And just, you know, go in and get checked out. Anytime you feel bad, there's no reason you should feel like a bother. You should just go in, tell your doctor something's wrong. I feel different. Baby feels different. And they'll check you out, you know, make sure thing looks okay. NSTs are not perfect. They're only yeah. for the time that they're on you. So if there's a monitor on you and they're checking, you know, using ultrasound machine, everything that's for that time, but make sure they look at the cord and, you know, if you can push for a measuring of a placenta, there are ways to do that. Go to measure the placenta.org and you can have your doctor even trained by Dr. Kleiman to do it, but it's simple. So even an ultrasound tech can just do it if they yeah. get the certain measurements. Um, but this is all something that you have to just learn about, advocate, you know, no one's going to advocate for you, but yourself, even a doula doesn't know your body. Like, you know, your body. And some of the examples we're giving are like examples that only are a red flag. If you know your body and something is different about that, and you will know, you will literally know, like trust that inner wisdom. As soon as a little alarm bell goes off, you're like, okay, let me find out what thing is in the long list of items. Yeah. Um, also, um, you can always ask for a biophysical and that tells you more than a non-stress test, but you, you know, the space is for teaching you to know what to ask for, because oftentimes people know, don't know what to ask for. And I've been to enough births between us. We've experienced enough different kinds of births that, you know, we have learned the hard and beautiful way, both, you know, we've had not just hard births, uh, what to ask for, what to do. Right. And the important thing too, is for you to feel reassured. So if your doctor doesn't ask you that and they're like, okay, everything I checked was fine. Go ahead and go home now. But you're still having this intuitive feeling. Mm -hmm. You can ask to stay overnight. There is no harm in that. Say like, no, I still don't feel right about this. My baby's still not moving normally like he should. I'm, I'm going to stay here. Like just push for that. Cause I know mm -hmm. people who've gone home after NST who do not come back to get good news. So yeah. 
please yeah. trust yourselves with that moment. It's so key. It's so hard to trust ourselves over doctors because you know we've been let down by doctors before, but this is just, you know, trust yourself more than anyone else. Hmm. Well, there's only so much that these tests that they're even running can tell them. If they're I know. not looking at the cord right. and they're not looking at the size of exactly. your placenta, you know, and a lot of medicine, most of it is symptomatic. Like you say what your symptoms are and then they say, oh, okay, you have this. Right. That's how they start to diagnose. Oh, you might have preeclampsia. Okay, let's run certain tests. But mm-hmm. if you don't speak up first, they can't follow it right. anywhere, you know? Tell them to find, find, if they say they can't find something, say find something. <laughs> For sure. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go through some questions. So what drew you into the birthing world? Cause we know you've had your birth. What made you want to be a doula? I recognized when my daughter was born that, um, everyone is there always for the baby, but I wanted to be there for parents, moms, birthing people of whatever flavor of life, religion, gender. Um, I wanted to be there for them through this very sometimes difficult transition where you don't know what your child is going to be like. You don't know what your birth is going to be like. Um, And that, that was really what put me into the birth world. Not as much for any sort of birth outcome, though I did focus on natural births at first, Um, but just that focus on parents and making them feel ready and managing their expectations in a healthy way and being there for them. Mm -hmm. I love yeah. it. I love doulas. I was like, why didn't I know about doulas? I never had a doula. I know. So I, nice. uh, my doula was amazing. She was literally whispering in my ear, like, you're a bad. <laughs> and I was like, great. Well, you know, and it's depends on who your partner is, you know, but my husband didn't read anything about pregnancy. He was not like that kind of dad. So like, it was all on me. And I wish I had a yeah. second person who could have been like, Oh, so do you know about kick counting? Let me explain it better because that doesn't make, yeah. that's not right. A lot of doulas right don't do that. If yeah. you're a doula and you want to learn a little bit more how to- Please come to us. Out, we definitely have knowledge on this that you, it's hard because you go online. If you Google right now, do it with me, put in there, you know, fetal movement change. You're going to find so many things that are wrong and we're working I did it that. wrong. I did it wrong as a doula. I would be like, let's look, let's just try to hit the certain amount of right. movement. Everyone and it's about- that Exactly. And it's not it's right. Still, doctors will still tell you that. I know ER people told me that like they gave so me even bad. more in- instructions to wait even longer, you know? So I get why it's so hard and confusing and people say it doesn't work. Well, because it's so badly explained everywhere. So we actually are working with, um, count the kicks is probably going to help out with this as well, but kicks count UK. We had a great live with them prior to this. And, you know, Elizabeth there, she's like, the misinformation on the internet is actually harming people internationally. Yeah, And she's saying like where they're at, they're actually do have protocol and they are actually, you know, educating parents about how to properly do this. But at the middle of the night, when they're freaking out about a change, they go still to the Google, you know, Dr. Google, let me see fetal movement change. Oh, wait. Yeah, that's it. It's okay. And they're looking at our websites. So our misinformation across the pond is like affecting birth over there. So she's like, yeah. please let me help you. So we're working together to like rewrite the script on that and hopefully get all the websites to, you know, update their stuff because they're all outdated. And then eventually if a parent parent does go online because they still have been educated on this, they will hopefully get the right information to help them and make them understand. First of all, go right in, you know, you feel a change, go right in. Don't worry about Don't wait. Start a new kid counting session. I mean, if you really... Like some people think they need to do a new kick counting session. Well, you already have the intuition. 
you're already feeling wrong. Why sit there and do an hour too? I mean, right. Literally some babies are lost within a few hours. Mine, who knows, you know, cause the compressions happen so long. I don't know the damage, but there are cord issues and things, knots and stuff where like babies come out and they tell them, oh, well, 12 hours earlier, your baby might've survived. And right. So do not Which is a horrible thing next- to hear. Yeah. And don't wait for a next appointment. If you think, well, I'll just wait till the morning when my appointment is. No, go to labor and delivery right now. It's more important than anything. Right. And you know, you might- Don't be worry wrong, about right? what other people think. Yeah. Don't like some people are like, well, we get received. So such a nasty way. Cause we come too much or something. It's like, okay. But at the end of the day, you are the parent. This is your baby. If this loss happens, it's going to affect your life. Not everybody else's. Mm-hmm. So do not worry about what anyone thinks about you or you being too bothersome. Right. You know, it's, it's that serious, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. What womb wisdom would you like to pass along from both your lived and personal experience? So just something that you've learned about birth. Trust your inner voice. There's always a red flag that pops up for people and our bodies oftentimes know before we do. And we're trying to put the pieces together when really we hear that voice saying something's wrong. And we've talked about this the whole time. So like, this is just like to neatly package it up. Trust that voice, not someone saying, oh no, it's fine. And from there, allow all of the tools at your disposal at an OB's office or at the hospital to figure out exactly what it is because your intuition or your voice inside you, whatever you want to call it, is almost never wrong. Mm-hmm. I see it all the time with all, well, in the past, I've seen it with all of my doula clients. They always know what's happening, what's happening in their bodies. Um, there's an innate knowledge that, you know, it's literally a womb wisdom, very literal, um, mm-hmm. that they know before they have the language for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, it was hard to speak out in that way. Cause I was kind of raised to like, listen to the authority, yeah. you know, never really talk back to my parents and that kind of thing. So when it came to a doctor, it was tough for me to be like, Oh no, you're wrong. I still feel bad. Or, you know, so right. I, I think I just want to talk to all the good girls out there, you know, myself personally, don't worry about offending anyone or being, you know, somebody who questions them and, you know, calls them out or, I don't know if I, since I had no medical experience, I didn't feel like I had the right to question them, but you do, you know, right. and I agree with you. Like, I don't you know, know everything. Body. Yeah. You know, your body and you're the expert of your body and your, your pregnancy. So you don't have to be a doctor to be more right than the doctor, you know, right. or your doula or your support person, whatever, if you're trying to do this at home, like you still, if you start to panic, don't just sit there at home because you feel something's happening that's not right and just get you know transfer going you know you should always have that plan b if you're doing this at home and don't just assume it's going to go perfectly and you know your body's going to know best and just sit there waiting you know because we do know losses that have happened at home births it's more you know statistically possible even so you have to listen to yourself and speak up as much as possible right so should I even ask you what kind of birth did you want and what did you have? You know, I I wanted a natural birth with my daughter and I made a plan to make it happen. And it didn't just because I wanted it to. Um, it did because I got lucky um, and all the stars aligned. Um, but 
I have always been of the mindset that I will have the birth that is right for the baby because they are also the ones who dictate how they come into this world. So I have always been flexible and open. And I think that's so important. And it's always a very good conversation around healthy expectations that I have with my clients. Mm-hmm. I won't, I don't know if I want to answer it. You don't have to. <laughs> I you, never you got the so- birth that I wanted. And like I just said earlier, I'm like, I guess I had the natural birth and my mis- miscarriage. How sad is that? Like, I am a little jealous of you if you have a natural birth and it's so perfect, like a home birth with the water and your body. Well, I will it. say it uh, hurts like, <laughs> which everyone's like, it doesn't hurt. And some people are like, you can have an orgasmic birth. And I will tell you, like, pain is real and you feel it, but it's worth it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I just, I can't say I know. So, but no, I never got my natural birth that I would have loved to see. And um I had the C-section by all, you're still a mom. All three C-sections had to happen. So yeah, I don't like wish they hadn't happened. They had to happen to get my babies here. So, and the one that's not, unfortunately that was his best, you know, chance of survival. Natural birth is not better than a C-section. I I want to change the thing because the the crash C-section had to happen. He was still alive. So they had to do that. They rushed it. And yeah, they could have just waited for him to pass and then make me have a natural mm. birth. And then I would have had a natural birth, but then I wouldn't have felt like I, we gave it our all, you know? Right. So I am glad that that happens. And so, yeah, I guess I had the births I needed to have that necessarily I wanted. Um, so that's my answer. Kind of sad, but. But I think it's important, like that there was still my birth light. was not better than your C-section, no. you know, your C-section brought beautiful children into the world, some living and some not. And I think it's so important to recognize that and to tell people that a natural birth isn't better, you know? No. And some people had their natural births, um, but they begot them dead babies. I, I don't want to, oh, it's such like a cruel way to say it, but like, I know multiple people who have had their dream natural births, but what ended up coming out was a baby who had a cord compression or a cord wrapped around the neck. And there was no way because it was a precipitous labor that lasted under three hours. And in those situations, like even an ultrasound or even monitoring, those labors happened so fast. And, you know, they didn't want their dream birth, natural births anymore. So it's all a matter of perspective. Yeah. And sadly, I mean, death is possible in any of these cases and the woman's life is at risk to the birthing parent. So, yeah you know, we take on that risk becoming pregnant and wanting a baby. And I don't think we all know that when we take on that risk, I think a lot of women might be pregnant. I think that's why we are having less pregnancies, to be honest, probably because people are like, Hmm, high mortality rate here in America. I'm not sure about that, you know, and I wouldn't necessarily go into it now myself with COVID because we haven't even talked about increased risk with COVID and the changes in how pregnancies were handled. And there is already data on how it crosses could cross the placenta and cause yeah, complications itself yeah. is horrible for stillbirth rate is yeah. rising and so if you are pregnant now though get the is, vaccine yeah and it's the time for you to just advocate because you may not be able to go in and you might feel this and that pushback but you might say nope my baby's not moving I'm coming in right now you know and oh, yeah. just be very pushy about it and stay there ask you know your support person if they can come I mean I know they're making it hard sometimes but it's not the time to back down right now. Right. What's one thing about birth that you wish someone had told you about? 
such a hard question. Oh, so many things, so many things. I think for me, I wish someone had told me more about postpartum stuff. I think I, as a doula and also as a parent, got so caught up in pregnancy and just knowing that I would have a live baby and not thinking anything else might happen or not even thinking I might have a miscarriage or chemical pregnancy. Like I've had so many losses this past year and this year that it's like knowing postpartum what my, would happen with my own healing and mood and how hard that would be with a living baby or not. I think we spend so much time focusing on this glowing pregnant person mm. and birth is so beautiful. And we don't really talk about the postpartum stuff, how hard it is when a birth doesn't go the way you want and what it does to your mental health and your physical health. I think I would have loved to have known more about that mm -hmm. beforehand. I think that's really important. Yeah, it's kind of like everyone just expects a woman to, at this stage, wanting to become pregnant, then know how to take care of herself after and what to right. do to recover. And be in charge her. of a living human. Yeah, and like it's hard, emotional things and postpartum depression, if you go through that, it's difficult. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I officially went through that or not, but I got that diagnosis for my loss and it helped me to get disability pay. So if anyone has had a loss, that was kind mm. of my loophole to not go back to work. Cause I was definitely postpartum. You still have milk coming in and all this stuff happening to your body. That's just terrible mm. after a loss, but I did have depression, obviously grief, heavy grief, but you, they don't give you time off for grief. Uh, so I did have to do that loophole for mine. And, you know, I know how hard it is without the living child. And then I imagine having the child and being, you know, in those moods and stuff, like it's, it must be so hard. So yeah. if you are in that state, just please get help. You know, there's support out there. And I don't think that we give people enough like support at all as a community. No. It's just like, oh, new baby's here. How cute. Let's see, when can we come see the baby and stuff? But yeah. if you know of a pregnant person, check in on them too, you know, and if you can like bring by food and things like that, offer that. Those are really nice. Like if someone does like a food uh, meal train, you know, that's a really nice way to support people after. Cause it's like, oh, you can barely keep it together. You know? Yeah. Especially if they have like a NICU baby or even if someone has lost a baby, even like six months later, you know, most people have complicated grief where a year after their loss or whatever they've gone through, they're still experiencing grief. And it's now a, an actual diagnosis that can help pay. There are just a lot of benefits to being diagnosed with complicated grief, as opposed to just being on your own on an island. Yeah. Um, and that's important. Yeah. I mean, cause we hit milestones that should be happening like the six months or when you, your baby becomes a year old and you're like, Oh, like we don't get to do the birthday then my child would be one year right now. So yeah, mm -hmm. definitely check on someone who's had a loss, like much longer than even a year. I mean, we grieve forever. So it's nice for you to mention our other children and we won't go into too much of that conversation. Yeah. But yeah. It's definitely something that everyone can learn more about how to support a griever. Yeah. Okay. So how did you survive the third trimester a really hard time of pregnancy where everyone's just tired of it. <laughs> yeah, hmm, that's hard because for Fox, it was very different than Ivy. I think the most important thing was I started doing fewer things. I know people are like, keep busy, plan a party, and then you will 
have a baby, you know, like plan all these things to keep yourself busy. And then the birth will come when you're least expecting it. Um, and I always have spent that time in my two experiences, um, going more inward and trying to be more aware of my body, doing a little bit more gentle yoga, being lazier, uh, in some ways, walking more, bouncing on the ball more and spending time with my living child or the the lifestyle I have before another child. Mm, I love that. Have you seen, I think I sent it to you. There's this thing going on now that probably has been longer because I just am not in that world, but instead of a baby shower, it's like- Blessing way. Yes, there you go. Yeah, they're very sweet. I did a, uh, oh, what is it called? A cast on my belly for Ivy that I didn't do with Fox because I was going to do it when I was yeah. more pregnant, but he came at 32 weeks. Um, and that was really special because I still have that cast of her belly and I can like put it over my boobs and my stomach and be like, oh, this is like, this is what it was. And I have that forever. And she has that. There are a lot of things you can do in the yeah. third trimester to really so I like, like that because it's instead of the baby shower, which we're accustomed to doing, but the focus is so much on the baby and getting all a these mom. gifts and there's mm-hmm. nothing for the mom so much at baby showers is it for you know being showered with attention but those other blessing way you called it Mm -hmm. blessing way yeah it's really nice because it's like kind of treating the woman and you know massage or whatever you're doing together maybe sharing some womb wisdom from you know other mothers coming together and try to prepare you mentally and everything so look that up if you're pregnant I'm not ever going to have one of those now but it sounded like a good way to kind of focus more on the mom, really prepare you. Give us one tip for a mother who's anxious about birth. I feel like I'm re- reiterating the first question. My one tip would be listen to yourself. If you're anxious, maybe there's some, there's a reason you're anxious. And then like working through that, there are a lot of journals that people can get to help like work through not just pregnancy, but just like thoughts that are fleeting or maybe the feelings that are behind those thoughts and you can kind of discover what some of those anxieties are. But there is also, I believe, a journal that you can get after pregnancy loss that helps you through every day that you are pregnant after. Um, And I find journaling in general is just a great way to kind of think out loud if you don't want to burden a friend or a husband or whatever, a spouse, partner, a parent with what's bothering you, getting out the words and kind of finding what that is getting to the bottom of what's making you anxious. That's good too. Just for going into your visits and stuff. You're like, yeah. oh, wait, what happened this week? Cause you forget and you get busy. And I mean, I can't remember anything now. Like when I was pregnant, even less, you know, there's so much you're, I feel like when you're pregnant, like your body's doing so much, your brain kind of loses it. Brain fog. You. Yeah, oh, totally. <laughs> like write it down. Good tip. I like that, Ray. I don't know if I have a great tip for you. If you're anxious, learn. I don't think a lot of people who like hear the word stillbirth and that kind of thing go into it more like to learn more because they're already scared of the word and like, oh no, I don't want that to happen to me, but it's not contagious. I've said that in the LA times. I've been quoted, you know, stillbirth is not contagious just because you just heard about it. It's not going to happen to you. I think it's important for you now to go further with and just understand like, what are the causes and okay, only 10% are genetic. So if we're past that point in the pregnancy, that's clear. So everything else is placenta and cord related mostly, you know, that kind of issue comes up in a vast majority of them. So maybe you ask more questions about that. Can you please scan the cord? Can you please check the placenta Mm -hmm. size? 
don't just be passive about the pregnancy, you know, and just assume it's fine and get to know your movements and all that so that you can be, you know, empowered in your appointments to speak up. And, you know, I think that will take away the anxiety and the fear, feeling like you do understand and asking more questions if you don't understand it. That's great. Hope we've given you enough information to, you know, think about and your pregnancies and, you know, come back to us for more. Please comment, let us know what you're interested in. If you have something that we spoke about in this episode that you want us to go further into, because we did try to cover a lot and it did get long. So we want to make sure to still come back to you with more and Ray will come back on anytime you guys want her to, because she has the doula perspective. And I'll be back with a lot of different people we're interviewing. If there's anyone specific you want us to speak to, let me know. But I'm very excited. Some of the people we have coming, I've been working with on other accounts and I've already interviewed and they have so much knowledge that I think that's what's important is bringing these experts on for you that you can really learn from and you know incorporate into your pregnancy journey because we don't know where it's going to take you. So we want you to be as prepared as possible. And follow across all social media. Follow Sacred Birth Circle. We're brand new, so we're working on content, but it will be coming and we definitely hope to be an inclusive, safe space for all of you, no matter what type of birth you have and what you wish for and what you end up having might be different. So we just want you to be comfortable here and be able to learn as much as you need to. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Sacred Birth Circles episode with Ray Jagger. She's just amazing. I thank you so much, Ray, for sharing both your lived experiences as well as your professional experience as a doula and birth educator. And I hope that everyone listening gained some knowledge that you can take on your journey through your pregnancy, birth, and beyond. Please remember that this is not medical advice, just a tool for you to add into your toolbox as you go on your journey. So I ask that you please make sure to speak with your medical team, your medical providers. If you have any questions, they're there for you. They want to help. They want to make sure that you have a healthy pregnancy and baby. And I'm so excited about the lineup of birth workers, maternal health experts, parents who have a vast array of birth stories that are joining us in the coming weeks. So please subscribe now and share this with your friends so we can continue to grow our circle and support one another and this most sacred, pure, beautiful privilege of creating new life. Find us on social media to continue the conversation and learn pregnancy advice that you may not find elsewhere because our goal is to be open and honest about everything you might encounter so you're not blindsided and you're prepared as possible. Sending love to you all across the web. Goodbye for now.